Blog Talk Radio. The Four Persons, Inc. is a federally registered and licensed 501c3 charity. Any use of any of our content without our permission is prohibited by law. Our purpose is evangelization, education, and social action. Please go to our website at thefourpersons.com or our blog site at thefourpersons.net to make your tax-deductible donation by credit or debit card. You can also send a check to The Four Persons, Inc., P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. To contact us, send us an email at email at thefourpersons.com. Blog Talk Radio Show fans, this is the Catholic Can Apologetic Show with me, your host, Ken Lichfield. Welcome to the Catholic Can Apologetic Show on the Four Persons Network. This is our weekly Friday morning show with Catholic apologist Ken Lichfield. To call into the show today, the number is 515-602-9655. That number again is 515-602-9655. And now, let's welcome our host, Ken Litchfield. Good morning, Four Persons Blog Talk Radio Show fans. This is the Catholic Ken Apologetics Show. This is me, your host, Ken Litchfield. We have a great show planned for you today. We will be discussing common objections to the Catholic faith. If you have any questions on this topic, feel free to call in at 515 515- 602-9655. If you'd like a copy of today's show notes, you can send me an email at catholicken at thefourpersons.com. That's Catholic with a K and at the, the number four, persons.com. I'm also available to come speak at your parish on this or many other topics. You can contact me at kenlitchfield61 at gmail.com. Or look me up on Facebook. Today we have our founder, John, joining us today to add his input on the different questions. So are you there, John? I am. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. And happy Thanksgiving to all of you who I didn't get to wish a happy Thanksgiving to yesterday, since it's the day after Thanksgiving here in the U.S., So let's get down to it. Uh, Our first question comes from Monica D., who asks, if I show up a picture of my mom to Catholics and say, this is my mom, they're going to think that the picture literally gave birth to me. Good thing the apostles weren't stupid and understood exactly what Jesus meant. So Monica here is falling for the uh, mistaken idea that when Catholics have a statue of Mary, they think that that statue is Mary and that statue gave birth to Jesus. Catholics recognize that statues of Mary are not Jesus' real mom. They are a three-dimensional representation of Jesus' mom. And, you know, even a painting is a two-dimensional representation of Jesus' mom. Uh, real Catholics know that Mary has been depicted in many forms. Um, you can, if you look up images of Mary, you'll see a wide variety of images. So the idea is to remember that Jesus was a human being and that he became a human and still divine through Mary and that Mary was a human being and that Jesus got his humanity from his mother. And Jesus had to become human so he could offer himself in sacrifice for our sins. When you step back and look at the big picture of what the Catholic Church teaches about Mary, it's all based on what the Catholic Church teaches about Jesus. So we're not trying to give... uh, greater importance to Mary as if she is 
like another God or part of the Trinity, the important thing is to remember that Jesus came to save us through Mary. Anything you'd like to add to that, John? Yeah, I, I think Monica here actually does us a favor. Um, she proves the absurdity of her position, and by doing that, upholds the veracity of our position. Because in order for her position, that we worship images and, and all that, in order for her position to be true, we would have to actually believe the images are alive. We would have to actually believe the images are divine, which is the sin that the Old Testament people fell into, like, for instance, with the golden calf. So by asserting that we believe that the pictures are actually alive and the picture actually gave birth to someone, no one is really going to believe that Catholics are that stupid, that we, that we believe that. So she's really, by creating this ridiculous assertion, She's showing, showing the absurdity of her own position. Now, we, we Catholics keep hearing this over and over and over again, this idea that we worship images, and, and they base this on an, an incorrect understanding of uh, graven images from the Old Testament. And the thing that – what they're doing is they're, they are ascribing an Old Testament understanding – to a New Testament reality. In the Old Testament, we were instructed not to make any images of anything in, in heaven above because we had nothing to base any kind of image of God on. We had no ba basis. No one had ever seen God in a, in a way that they could create an image for. That's not true now. <laughs> We've seen God. We've seen the second person of the Trinity in the flesh. He walked among us. He was born in a stable. He died on a cross. We've seen what he looks like. Okay? So mm -hmm. it is, it, and, and people need to understand that, well, that's just Jesus. Well, Jesus is God. Okay? So, and, and, and it's the same thing with, with Mary. Okay? The, the image of the Ark of the Covenant, and they didn't have any problem with images of the Ark of the Covenant, drawings, paintings of the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. Well, that's all that we're doing. It's an image of the Ark of the Covenant, the fulfilled Ark of the Covenant, the actual Ark of the Covenant. The one in the Old Testament was a symbol that pointed to Mary. The Ark of the Covenant held the symbolic Jesus inside of it. Mary held the real Jesus inside of her. Okay, so mm -hmm. now, does that make Mary divine? No. Does it make Mary above God? No. Does it mean that a picture or a drawing of Mary uh, is actually Mary? No. We understand this. We've always understood this. But you know who the first artist that actually is known to have created images of Mary? Do you know who it was? Hmm. No. Luke. <laughs> Luke, the writer of two of the books of the New Testament. We, have, we actually have paintings of Mary that were done by Luke, the gospel writer. So uh, if creating images of Mary is somehow um, uh, idolatry, well, Luke didn't get the memo. <laughs> so. And he was a Jew who, you know, had the the Jewish understanding of the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, Protestants are taught this tradition that, you know, any picture of, um, you know, any picture or, or statue is automatically, you know, against the Ten Commandments of worshiping another god. But right after God tells his people not to worship images, you know, he tells them to make an ark and put two statues on top of it. <laughs> right. Two cherubs on top of it. Okay. Yeah. Now, let's let's talk about the two cherubs on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? They're on opposite sides of the mercy seat, facing each other and the tips of their wings touch each other. All right. Well, what do we read in the gospels? When they walked into the tomb, the empty tomb, they saw two angels 
one on either side facing each other. So uh-huh. it's, a, it's a typology. It's something that's pointing forward. All right. So, you know, just think about this. Luke the evangelist, not only was Luke the evangelist an idolater, but so was Moses when he created those two, when he put those two cherubs on top of the Ark of the Covenant. It's amazing. We're just all, they were all idolaters. None of them were, were legitimate believers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Well, when you're bent on, you know, the destruction of the Catholic Church, you'll you will bend over backwards to cling on to any any possible right. thing and would, that you can think and, of. And you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses do the same thing. They do the same thing when they say, "Well, you know, it says right here in the Old Testament, the dead are aware of nothing." Well, yeah, because you're quoting from the Old Testament. <laughs> they're in the, they're in the abode of the dead. Okay. They're not. Mm-hmm. They 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 haven't been released yet. They haven't been released from uh, from the prison yet. And when you when you're constantly taking an Old Testament understanding and applying it to a New Testament reality, well, things have changed. <laughs> it's a it's a different reality. Right. And uh, when Jesus tells the parable about the about Lazarus and the rich man, you know. The rich man is able to communicate with Lazarus, who is in Abraham's bosom, on the other side of the right. the great uh, canyon between them. Uh, right, right. Oh, and um, so Jesus is teaching mission, in the New Testament that they know yes. that they are alive or they exist. Right. Since we're yeah. mentioning, yeah, since we're talking about idolaters who, who you know spoke with the dead and all these things. Um, we have to include Jesus with that because he spoke with Moses and, and Elijah at the Mount of Transfiguration. So he, he has to be included as one of those idolaters. Right. Moses and Elijah, they didn't know anything, right? Because <laughs> they're dead. <laughs> right. right. They were dead. They didn't, they didn't know what was going on. <laughs> well, Jesus conjured them up. Ooh. <laughs> mm-hmm. But actually... He just uh, spoke with them because the dead are living, just not with physical body on the other well, side. Jesus gets Jesus gets into this tussle with the Sadducees, and he and he tells them, he he said, "You are greatly mistaken. God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead." He's very mm-hmm. clear with them about this that 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 the you know the saints are alive. Now they weren't you know. Uh, you know, they weren't in heaven in the Old Testament, but they were alive. They were in the in the abode of the dead. They were waiting for the resurrection of Christ. Mm-hmm. But she's yeah, you know she's such yet. a fair she's such a fair minded person. You know, Monica is. You know, she's just always asking all these fair minded objective objective questions. You know. <laughs> anyway, yep. what's our next question? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so. Uh, this comes from a friend of Monica's. Her name is Kathy C. And she asks, okay. time and again, we see Roman Catholics quoting the early church fathers like Irenaeus or Augustine, as if lends any credibility to what they believe. But we don't care, we as in the Protestants, don't care what someone uh-huh. said. And it does no good to say even this reformer believed or said this or that they're not inspired why do y'all put so much faith in what men taught men who were not taught by christ or the apostles so of course the answer is is that we have the new testament writings um, and we have the old testament but the church fathers provide a chain of evidence for the catholic interpretation of the bible back to a time before the catholic church assembled the bible and even some of the early church writing father writings you know are from a time when the new testament writings were also being written protestants their interpretation of the bible just goes back to the guy who founded their denomination or that person's own interpretation of the bible and of course protestants just like catholics have free will to follow some guy and his interpretation of the bible or their own made-up interpretation of the Bible. But we Catholics are blessed with a hierarch- 
eat in our church that Jesus left his authority with. And Jesus, at the end of uh, Matthew chapter 28, tells his apostles that he will be with them until the end of the age. And we recognize that as the church age and that Jesus is always with us to guide his church. What would you like to add, John? <laughs> There's so much. <laughs> Let me start by oh, saying... Oh, it's only an hour that, show, you know. <laughs> yeah, I could do an hour on this one topic. Um, so let's start with this idea that, you know, these are just a bunch of old guys. Why do, why do we care what they have to say? Well, we care what they have to say because if we didn't care what they have to say... You wouldn't have a Bible. If it weren't for Jerome translating it and Augustine helping us put the canon together and Irenaeus talking about which books are inspired and which books are not inspired, you wouldn't have a Bible if these, if these guys didn't put it together. The absolute irony of this question is that we shouldn't pay any attention to what Irenaeus says and what Jerome says and Justin Martyr says and Polycarp says. But we should pay attention to what Kathy C. has to say. She's mm-hmm. 2,000 years removed from this situation. We should listen to, the, to her and ignore guys that are 150 years, 200 years, 300 years removed. People who learned from the apostles themselves or, you know, two or three generations um, removed from the apostles. Okay. So right. think about this. Would, would, if you were talking about an event that happened 200 years ago, and I was listening to your historical account of an event that happened 200 years ago, I would be much more inclined to believe in the accuracy of what you have to say than if you were talking about something that happened 2,000 years ago. Okay? If, if you're giving direct you know, I- I- information on this. Now, what's, what's absolutely astounding is that fathers, because they make an accusation, they say, well, the Bible says this, and the church has always believed this, and, uh, you know, the, the Bible says A, and the church has always believed A, and then the Catholics came along in uh, 1200 and said B. Well, no, 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 no. We got this guy right here that lived in 350 that is saying A, okay, or, you know, that, that's agreeing with us. So we're mm-hmm. bringing up the testimony of the early church fathers in order to refute assertions that Protestants make about what the church has always believed. We can show first century, second century, third century, fourth century, all the way on down that all of these generations agreed with us. And if you look historically, in fact, this is the thing that converts so many Protestants to Catholicism, because mm-hmm. you can't find Protestantism before 1500. It doesn't exist. So if it's right. true, and it's what Jesus taught, and it's what Paul taught, where are the Protestants in the year 400? <laughs> where are the Protestants in the year 500? They, they're not there. So... Mm-hmm. Um, so really the premise of her question, the premise of her question is we shouldn't believe anything that anybody from 96 A.D. said all the way forward until 2023, but now God waited all that time and then has given Kathy C. all the answers. Right. And we need to listen to her. Okay. Well, I'm going to need God to show me that. If you're claiming those kind of gravitas, those kind of credentials, I'm going to need a miracle or two to (laughs) confirm that, please, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. And uh, Protestants like to, you know, point to the passages in the Bible that where it says the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. But yet, you know, like I always tell people, in my little town, I have five different Protestant churches and they teach conflicting right. things so the holy spirit is not inviting inspiring them to you know into all truth you know because they're not in agreement with one another well think about this ken i'll just make one more argument and we'll move on to the next question but think about this if you would have asked somebody 
in 700 AD to quote you James chapter 2, verse 24. <laughs> they looked at uh-huh. you like you got two heads. <laughs> what? <laughs> There's no divisions in James. What do you mean? It's just a one long letter. The chapters and verses didn't come along until, what, the 12th century? From mm-hmm. the Catholic Church. <laughs> okay? So right. without the Catholic Church, you can't even say who wrote the book of uh, the Gospel of Matthew. You can't even say what the verse, first verse of chapter 2 of the Gospel of Matthew is. You need us to be able to even identify the 27 books of the New Testament. So you're, t- you're talking about all this stuff about we're, we're counting the, 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 the Word of God. We're countering the Word of God. You love the Bible. You love the Word of God. You're welcome. We gave it to you. Exactly. Yep. And uh, one of the things that Irenaeus writes about in 180 AD is that we have four Gospels. Uh, and you know, Protestants just assume that, you know, we've always just had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But in right. Irenaeus' time, there were many other competing Gospels. More than um, 50. There were yeah. more than 50, Ken. And, he, and, and we, the Catholic Church narrowed it down. Imagine how big Bibles would be today if all of the books that were considered, there were over 50 Gospels. So mm-hmm. if, if all the books that were considered that, well, you know, we're not sure what's uh, – what's inspired and what isn't. So we're just going to put them all in there and let you guys figure it out. That Bibles would be big. <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. Yeah. The new Testament would be as big as the old Testament. Right. And uh, another thing that Irenaeus points out is that, you know, the guys who wrote the four gospels that we have are the names that are attributed to them. Um, of course, Mark's gospel does not say that it was written by Mark because no. he wrote down what he learned from Peter as he learned it from Peter, uh, which is why Mark's gospel is not as chronological as, uh, say, Luke's gospel, who right. gathered the accounts of others and put them in an orderly sequential form, more like a history book. Right. You look at the books of the Old Testament, Ken. The, the books, a lot of people think that the books of the Old Testament are all in chronological order. They're not. They're not. All right? The books of the Old Testament are in a very specific order. You have the, the Genesis, which starts with the creation, the, the creation account. Right? Then you have the books of the law. Right? Then the judges. Then the, then the kings. Then the prophets. And all of these things are laid out in a specific order. Well, they didn't fall from the sky like that. <laughs> the church assembled the Bible and put it together. Mm-hmm. And anyway, all the, it's not like all the Jewish synagogues only had, you know, this particular Old Testament set of writings. Uh, they yeah. had a variety of writings in their tabernacles um, where they kept the, the word of God. Uh, and it wasn't until like 136, 140 AD, you know, over 100 years past the time of Jesus that they finally established, you know, these are the inspired writings that we can read in the synagogue, and, and, the, and these are and the, the readings the that we don't is, read in the synagogues. Right. And the thing that's so hypocritical about it is there are books in the Bible that Luther himself tried to ban, above and beyond the seven that he was successful at removing. He also wanted to remove the Epistle of James, obviously, because it counters everything that he believed. He wanted to remove Hebrews. He wanted to move, remove of Revelation. Uh, you, know, at, at, you know, me and Luke Haskell have been doing a special on the Gospel of Matthew. At some point, we're going to tackle the book of Revelation because it's probably the most misunderstood book in the, in the entire Bible. You know, every, mm-hmm. everything, everybody, <laughs> everybody thinks that the book of Revelation is all about the future. It's not. It's not right, um, mm-hmm. but you know, if if Luther had had his way, there would be no Book of Revelation. There would be no Book of James, and there is not a Protestant in the world that can convince me that of their own volition, if they had had their way, that the Book of Hebrews would have made would have made the canon of Scripture. We don't even know who wrote it. You know, for sure, we we think it was probably. You know, uh, Paul, maybe with some help from Luke, we, you know, we're, we don't know for sure. 
But they, they right. can't, cannot convince me that they would have decided of their own efforts that Hebrews was inspired and should be in the canon. So, um, anyway, what's our next question? <laughs> I don't want to yep. get too excited, okay. get myself too wound up here. <laughs> All right. So, moving on here. Uh, this is another one to get you wound up with, though. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, Mike O. Um, passes on a question from a uh, customer that walked into his um, Christian bookstore, I think it is. And okay. the customer walks in with a shirt that read, Christianity is not a religion. Uh, and he says, obviously, I'm not going to debate theology with a customer, but I was wondering what would be an appropriate Catholic response to this claim? And I answered him, when a person says Christianity is a relationship, I ask them to define what their participation is in that relationship. Whatever they define that to be, there is their religion. The relationship idea allows the individual to make up their own religion, but that is not God's plan for our salvation. God gave the Jews many specific things that they had to do in their relationship to him. In Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism, and we are no longer required to offer animal sacrifices at the temple. However, Jesus told his apostles to teach and baptize in Matthew chapter 28. Peter did that 10 days later in Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 are added to the church that day through baptism. Jesus also told his apostles that they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood to have eternal life. Jesus also gave his apostles the authority to forgive sins. The way these things are practiced in the Catholic Church is our religion. And the word religion just means, like, it comes from the Latin word regular, which is just like the rules that you live by. And, you know, Protestants are very big on this idea of the personal relationship with Jesus, and that easily falls into this bad idea of, like, you can decide how you want to relate to God. But actually, God tells us how he wants us to relate to him. We don't get to choose God tells us. And God wants to have a personal relationship with us, but it's under his terms, not our terms. Right. So it's your turn, John. <laughs> so. I, we're going to do a little role play here, Ken. All right. Okay. I, I want you to I want you to pretend that you're a typical mainstream Protestant. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Okay. Okay. All right. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? Sure, I do. Do you believe that He died on the cross and rose from the dead on the third day uh, in atonement for our sins? Absolutely. It's religion. <laughs> Okay, you're, 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 I'm sorry, you just, you just confirmed a belief system, okay? And there are a lot mm -hmm. of people that claim to be Christians who say that Jesus is not God, all right? The Jehovah's Witnesses are, are just one example. There are mm -hmm. a lot of people that believe that there are many gods. The Mormons are an example, all right? So there are a lot of people that believe in a counterfeit Christ. So uh, yep. do those – so so how do we di differentiate their belief system? They all have a relationship with the Christ, but they have a relationship with a false Christ, <laughs> okay? Mm -hmm. And you know it goes back to what you said. Imagine you've been married for a number of years. Imagine if you told yep. your wife, said, okay, here's the deal. Um, I love you, and I want to have a relationship with you, but I want to see other people. <laughs> how, how well would that go go over for you? <laughs> right. I'm I'm guessing not very well. <laughs> right. Okay. So, um, you don't get to set the terms of the relationship. Now, that's true between you and your wife, and you and your wife are equals, and you don't get to set terms of the relationship. When it comes to us and Jesus, we are not equals. Okay. So mm -hmm. to for us to presume to say to Jesus, okay, Jesus, we're gonna have this relationship with you, but we're setting the terms of the relationship. 
I don't think that's going to work well for us. Okay, he gets to set the terms of the relationship, and we get to follow it. Now, the relationship is great. The terms of the relationship are what we call religion. All right, Jesus says you must believe in me. Okay, believe in what? Well, you must believe in baptism. You must believe in the Eucharist. You must believe in the Trinity. These are things you must believe in. You must believe in the Incarnation. You must believe in the Immaculate Conception of Mary. This is religion, okay, because religion is based on truth. You can't have relationship without truth. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus said there are many that will say, Lord, Lord. He said there are many that will that will uh, give service to him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. So I want to do one fine point here. We hear this argument over and over and over again that Jesus was against religion, that that's what Jesus attacked when he attacked the Pharisees. No. Jesus said very clearly that the scribes and Pharisees sit on the chair of Moses, and you must obey everything that they say. So he affirmed the teaching authority of the scribes and Pharisees. He said, but do not follow their example, for they, do not, for they preach, but they don't practice. See, Jesus wasn't against the religion of the, of the scribes and Pharisees. He was against the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees, of saying one thing and doing another. And all of us, at one time or another, have fallen into that duplicity, that idea that we say that we love God with our words, but with our actions, we reject God. And you know what that's called? It's called sin. And that's why there is a mm-hmm. remedy for sin in, in, in our faith, because we all have those times where we've fallen short, where we say one thing and do another. Right? But when you say one thing and you do another, there must be an acknowledgement of that failure, and there must be a repentance from that failure. And it was the scribes and Pharisees who refused to repent, and that was the sin that Jesus railed against. It was their hypocrisy and their lack of contrition, not their religion. The religion was correct. problem was, was they didn't follow the religion. He said, if you, were, if you were children of Abraham, this is what Jesus says in John chapter 8, if you were truly children of Abraham, you would be doing the works of Abraham. You wouldn't be trying to kill me. Okay? So right. they were claiming to be these righteous children of Abraham all the time that they were plotting to kill Jesus. Well, that doesn't sound like a son of Abraham to me. How about you? Right. No. The... But because Jesus was, you know, taking away from their authority or teaching a better gospel than they had, you know, right? They, out of jealousy, they wanted to get rid of him. Right. And I, I, I think I saw something in there about thou shalt not kill. I think I saw that in the Bible somewhere. Didn't you? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, you know, the Levitical law, you know, when, uh, there are penalties of death for certain uh, transgressions in the Jewish culture and community. But uh, like when Jesus is being questioned uh, at the Sanhedrin and uh, he doesn't necessarily want to answer their questions, but they, uh, by speaking from the chair of Moses, you know, Jesus recognized even that authority and did answer their questions. Well, he, you know, a lot of people say, well, why was Jesus silent during these times? Well, when you look at, when you read in the Gospels, every time that Jesus asked a question, every time someone asked Jesus a question, and it was, it was an honest question where they were seeking to understand, Jesus always answered their question. Jesus mm-hmm. refused to answer a question from people who weren't interested in the, in the truth. They weren't interested in the true answer. All right? People who will say, well, you look at a picture and you think that the picture is a lie. <laughs> I mean, right. uh, well, I thank you for pointing out to me what I believe. But in all these years, I never knew I believed that. <laughs> no, I, just, I, I just thought they were pictures. But thank you for pointing out to me that I believe that they're actually divine. 
Mm-hmm. I, you think about think about that the, the gall, the audacity of somebody accusing us of worship, images. All right. Well, worship requires an assent of the will. Worship requires an assent to divinity. <laughs> okay. I don't see Mary as anything other than the most blessed of all women and the Ark of the Covenant and the Queen of Heaven. I do not see her as a part of the Trinity. Okay. So. In order for me to worship Mary, I would have to see her as God. I do not. Do you see Mary as the mind? No. We recognize her as the mother of God and therefore offer her, you know, extra honor, but not worship. Right. I I can see you're trying to dial me up with these questions this morning. You hand selected questions (laughs) to get me to get me whirring around, right? What's the next one? Uh, okay. Uh, let's see. Well, this one comes from uh, – these are from some pretty extreme Protestants, you know. But um, anyway. You had a lot Kathy of arrows Enright, in your quiver this morning. <laughs> <laughs> curious about religious vocations. When a priest or deacon is ordained, they receive sacramental grace. But what about the women religious when they join their orders? For the woman – for the women, they are not receiving a sacrament. So what about the grace? And uh, so the answer is God's grace is made available through all the sacraments. And grace is also available from many other sources in the Catholic Church, like devotionals and Bible reading. We have a veritable power strip of ways to plug into God's grace in the Catholic Church. Deacons and priests receive an indelible mark when they receive the sacrament of holy orders. When a woman becomes a nun, she is connected to a group of women who are all specially connected to God's grace. Nuns don't receive an indelible mark, but God knows who they are and their devotion. Deacons and priests are marked as representatives of Jesus who are authorized by their bishop to administer sacraments in the person of Christ. Nuns serve each other and our communities as members of the body of Christ, like all of us who are baptized. So God's grace is available to everyone. We have to choose to open up to it and let it change us so we can grow closer to Christ. The idea of not giving holy orders to women is not to demean women. It's just that Jesus was a man And if a man is going to be standing in the person of Christ during the Eucharistic prayer, he's got to be a man. A woman can't be a man, no matter what our modern liberals tell you. So that's why men can receive holy orders, but women can't. What say you, John? Well, I would just point out that God ordained women to have babies. Why can't men have babies? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, this this is this whole argument, uh, and we've heard it many, many times about, well, you know, God didn't need Mary to have Jesus. God could have done it any other way. Well, yeah, God could make 10,000 angels dance on the head of a pin if he wanted to. We're not confronted with what God wanted to do or what God could have done because we come up with an endless list of things that God could have done. Confronted with this, what did God do and what did God require of us as a response? That's what we're confronted with. So God said, uh, this is the way that it is laid out in the order. This is how I want these things done and by whom, and we are to follow that. So, uh, when God chose his disciples, he chose 12 men, okay? Uh, when, when God decided to um, uh, give uh, hum- humanity the power to procreate, he gave that ability to women to carry the child. Uh, and this is the way that God has ordained it. Now, am I able to stand here in the person of God and explain uh, why and and how God did everything that he did? No, I'm not. I would have to be God to be able to do that. Uh, but, you know, we can follow the pattern of this is what God did. 
And this is what God requires of us as a response. And that's what we're confronted with, and that's what we must follow, and that's what's called faith. Oh, and uh, that's also called religion. <laughs> right. <laughs> Dig that up again. Yeah. Uh, Jesus didn't tell those apostles, you know, go out and teach whatever, you know, you think I said or, you know, whatever you think <laughs> yeah. about what I said. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so, go out and teach what I taught you. Yeah, so here, guys, gather around here. I'm going to give each of you a King James Bible. <laughs> right. You know, and you go out and, uh, and uh, you know, you set up your own little neighborhood church, and whatever you guys decide, you know, is true, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to clear it with each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yet, you know, in the in the New Testament, tells us that Paul went to Jerusalem to get the right hand of fellowship with uh, Peter, James, and John, who were the pillars of the church, and because right. he wanted to make sure that what he was teaching was what they were teaching, because you know, the the apostles didn't give Paul a copy of the New Testament with his letters already in it <laughs> right. to go out and right. preach from. <laughs> right, right, right. Follow the teachings of this letter that I haven't written yet. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> All right. And someday I'm going to write this uh, letter of, called the the Book of James, <laughs> and and do not add to it. Yeah. Right. Don't add to that. <laughs> and later on, we're going to have the Book of Revelation, and uh, you know that thing is going to be so cryptic you can make up whatever you want about well, that book. What? Yeah, I, I love when they bring up Revelation twenty twenty two. They say, anyone that adds a word to this sacred book, you know, will inherit all the plagues described herein. It says, see, it says right here, you can't add to the Bible. Well, you you have a problem with that because the book of Revelation was written in sixty eight A D, and John himself added four books to that. Okay, so the other four books that John wrote, he wrote after the book of Revelation. So John inherited all the plagues. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe that's why he got banished to uh, Patmos, you know, so that that's you know, probably why quarantine there. Yeah. Because he violated the book of Revelation by writing all those other books like the gospel. There shouldn't have been right. a gospel of John. It should have ended with Revelation. <laughs> mhm. Yeah, they think just because the Revelation, the book of Revelation is the last one in the canon of Scripture, that they think that was the last one that was ever written. Right. Far far from it. Far from it. All right, what else you got? Okay. So moving on, uh, Bobby J. asks, I never did get an answer on how heretical Darwinian papists explain their belief of billions of years of death on earth before Adam and Eve brought sin and death <laughs> into the world. But getting no answers from cult members is normal. Bobby's another yeah. one of those rabid yeah. anti-Catholics. Yeah, another one of those objective questions from just, you know, a person who's honestly, you know, seeking the, to know the truth, right? Right. <laughs> just, just a humble inquirer trying to find out what Catholics believe. Right. So Adam and Eve were given human souls that animals and plants don't have. Our human soul exists after our bodily death, unlike animal souls. Adam and Eve were created without concupiscence and therefore did not inherit our sin tendency. However, God gave Adam and Eve free will to love him back because true love requires a free will choice. Otherwise, it is coercion, not love. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, he kicked them out of the garden, and they had to toil to live. Their sin brought physical death into their lives, as God said it would. So eventually, they died. Now, we inherit Adam and Eve's fallen nature, and we call it original sin, because our fall and nature comes from their original sin. When we are born, we lack the initial grace that Adam and Eve were born with. However, baptism restores that initial grace to help us obey God and live as he calls us to do. 
We still have our fallen nature, known as concupiscence, and we can use our free will to sin against God. This is why God made provision for the Israelites to restore the relationship through confession and animal sacrifice. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice which provides sufficient grace to save everybody. If we sin after our saving baptism, we can have our holiness restored through the sacrament of reconciliation. A priest, acting in the person of Jesus and with the authority that was handed on from the apostles to his bishop, he hears our confession like the Jewish priest, and Jesus gives us absolution through his priest acting in our world. After confession, we have the burden of our sins removed and feel spiritually so much better. And I recommend to him that you try it. You might just like it. Yep. All right. Yep. So you want to hear my response? Sure. You're on. Okay. We're going to we're going to do a little bit a uh, little bit of an exercise here because I, I I love you just recently had Gary Matuto on, and one of the mm-hmm. things that I love that he does is the finding the fallacy segment. So what I want to do is I want to go through slowly, and I want you to slowly read this question again, and I'll I'll stop you at various parts, and we're going to identify the fallacies in this question, and then we'll just go from there. Okay. So All right. go ahead and start. Okay. So Bobby J. asks, I never did get an answer how heretical Darwinian papists explained their belief right, stop right of there. billions of stop years. Right, stop right there, okay? Okay. I, I, never did, I never did get an answer, okay? Well, that's false. Right. He did get an answer, but he didn't like the answer. So he didn't get an answer that he was satisfied with, so he falsely claims that there wasn't an answer. But then he goes into Darwinian heretical what is it darwinian heretical papists uh well it's technically heretical darwinian papists <laughs> heretical darwinian papists okay right. so 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 what he's doing there is he's doing two different things he's doing the ad hom fallacy mm-hmm. which is a an, a personal attack attack to the person so he's attacking the 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 person all right and then he's using the juxtaposition juxtaposition fallacy all right and the juxtaposition fallacy works like this it's it's when you try to discredit your opponent by juxtaposing them with uh, uh, uh some evil person like for instance we see this all the time there'll be a picture of the pope juxtaposed against the picture of the of hitler maybe maybe they're holding their hand in the same way or something like that you know Mm-hmm. So, so okay. So, because the Pope raised his hand here, like Hitler did here, the Pope is Hitler. Okay, right. So, and and the and the the beautiful thing about the Darwinian, I, I, I mean, about the justification fallacy is you don't have to provide evidence. All you have to do is just create a juxtaposition, and that's all that he does here. Darwinian papist. Well, he doesn't provide any evidence that. Catholics are Darwinians, or the Catholics believe in Darwinian evolution, and none of us do, <laughs> okay? Right. Um, although Catholics are allowed to believe that life was formed in uh, 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 in some kind of an evolutionary process, if, if we're free to believe that, all right, mm-hmm. so long yep. as we believe two things, as long as we believe that God was the originator of life, and that God put the soul in the human body instantaneously. Those are the two things that we have to believe. So that's not what Darwin believed, okay? And that's not what right. Darwin taught, okay? Go ahead and continue with the continue with what what he said. Okay. So after, uh, well, I'll just start from the beginning here. I never did get an answer how heretical Darwinian papists explain their belief of billions of years of death on okay. earth before stop right, Adam. Stop right there. That's another empty assertion. All right. Explain their belief of billions of years of death before Adam and Eve. Well, show me where any Catholic document where Catholics believe that, where, where that is ascribed as a Catholic belief. 
That is the doctrine of the Catholic Church. So, so he makes these empty assertions, okay? So this is what's known as the straw man fallacy. Mm-hmm. And the straw man fallacy is when you don't go after your opponent's actual position, but you create a position for your opponent and you attack that position. Okay, well, you Catholics believe that billions and billions of years of people dying before Adam and Eve. Show me anywhere in the catechism that it says that. <laughs> Show me anywhere in any papal document that it says that. Show me anywhere that I as a Catholic must believe that there's billions and billions of years of death before Adam and Eve. I've never seen it. Have you, Ken? No, I haven't seen that. No. Has your, has your priest ever told you? Hey, Ken, you know, <laughs> uh I'm sorry, you can't receive communion until you, uh, you know, uphold this belief of billions of years of death. <laughs> right. Your priest hasn't haven't told you that, that yet? No, we haven't okay. had All that. Right. No. All right. All right, go ahead and continue. What else is this? Okay. Okay. Um, let's see. Well, he ends with... Um, but getting no answers from cult members is normal. Okay. So again, with the ad hom. Uh-huh. Again, with the ad hom. So, you, you know, this is this is a. Uh, you know, he just trying to kick up enough mud. <laughs> he hopes he can muddy his opponent. All right. And all right. So I'm a cult member. I'm 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 a a, a, a papist. I'm heretical. I'm a Darwinian. I'm all these things that you say that I am. Prove your point. Prove your point. Counter me on the facts. You know, and we've had a lot of arguments online with people that have been attacking us that that comes down to this, all right? For instance, this this idea that that oh, you know, you Catholics, you're the cult of uh, you're the whore of Babylon. Well, no, the whore of Babylon is the city of Jerusalem. <laughs> okay? It mm-hmm. says it right there in the script right there in Revelation seventeen eighteen it says she's the great city in Revelation eleven eight it says uh the great city where our Lord was crucified. Well it says that she sits on the seven hills. No, actually it uses the word oros. The Greek word is oros, means mountains. She who sits on seven mountains. The word for hills is bunos. Okay? She sits on seven mountains. Well in antiquity there was one city that was known as the city on seven mountains. That is the city of Jerusalem. So if you get mm-hmm. into an argument of facts with them, they they don't want to get into that argument. So what do they do? They name call. Cultist, papist, heretic, you know, Darwinianist, whore of Babylon. They, we can't we cannot compete with them in that arena, Ken. In the arena of name calling, we can't compete. They can come they've come up with some colorful stuff that we can't compete with. But when it gets into actual facts, what do we actually believe? What what does the Bible actually teach? Uh, in that arena, in that conversation, it always comes down to the Catholic side. Mm-hmm. If you dig into the Bible and find out what the Bible actually teaches and what the Catholic Church actually teaches, you end up on the Catholic side of the argument every time. And, and you know, the, the, the best way to win a debate, one of the best things that people – and pride always gets in the way. People who lose debates, one of the reasons that, that, that they lose debates is because pride gets in the way. Because when your opponent makes an argument that's true, makes an argument that's correct, you have to concede it. You have to mm-hmm. concede. Uh, there's been many times in a debate where I'll say, well, you know, your point is correct. I agree with you 100% on that point. And then I'll say, but this is why I don't believe that that point leads to your ultimate conclusion. This is – you make a correct jump from A to B, but here's why I believe your jump from B to C doesn't work. But you know, when you, when you just go with this, this scattergun that I'm, I'm anti-Catholic on anything, and, and if the uh, Catholic says, says the sky is blue, that you have to insist that it's green just because the Catholic says that it's blue – what you do is you undercut your own credibility. So when you come up with all this stuff about Catholics believe in billions of years of death, and you come up with this stuff that Catholics believe that a picture gave birth, you undercut your own credibility. So why would anybody mm-hmm. listen to you? You just you, – you, you frankly sound like you're insane when you say stuff like that. 
that people start to think that you're listening to a crazy person. So what these anti-Catholics don't realize, and and we have the testimony of many converts that have said this, many converts that have said this. Scott Hahn is one example. These anti-Catholics actually chase people to the Catholic side <laughs> because their arguments are so absurd. They're so ridiculous. They're like, well, no, Catholics don't really believe that. I mean, I don't agree with Catholics, but they don't believe that. And then you start to realize that these are emotional arguments. They're not intellectual arguments. They're emotional arguments. For some reason, these people have been hurt in some way or they're angry in some way, and they're lashing out emotionally rather than making an intellectual argument. Now, uh-huh. if you went back and you took his argument says. Well, you know, it seems to me that Catholics believe this about evolution, and um, that doesn't seem to square with what the Bible teaches about evolution. Um, please explain the disconnect. Well, now that's an honest, honestly phrased question. This is a person that honestly says, okay, well, I, you know, I hear what you're saying about what you believe, but here's why it doesn't sound like it's right. Now we're given the opportunity to, to, to make our case, and we can either persuade them or we, or we can't, but then it's a, at least it's an honest, objective dialogue rather than somebody just throwing stones. Right. And I sometimes wonder, you know, do these rabid anti-Catholic Protestants, you know, just throw out all these um, – Catholic accusations, you know, like heretical Darwinian papists, you know, like three loaded words right there to d- describe all yeah. Catholics. Uh, you know, do they do that just to, you know, poke the bear even harder or, uh, you know, trying to get the bear angry? Or um, do they actually believe that, you know, personally themselves? Uh, it does seem like some people are, you know, they just enjoy you know, aggravating other people. And well, that's I don't true. really understand that's true why too. they do that. That's, that's true, too. And, there, and there's, you know, so for some of them, they get a, a, a and that was what, you know, the, 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 um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees said. And that's why in so many of Jesus' parables, Jesus talked about good Samaritan. Oh, wait a minute. How can a Samaritan be good? You know, mm-hmm. oh, uh, prostitutes and tax collectors are going into the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. So, you know, you constantly, you know, reminded them of just how unholy they actually were, you know, because they were completely convinced of their own holiness. So there's that aspect of it that, oh, you know, I'm I'm so glad I'm not one of you unwashed Catholic papist heathens, you know. Um, well, you know. There's there's two kinds of sinners. There's a sinner that realizes he needs redemption, and then there's a sinner that doesn't realize he needs redemption. They're both in the same situation. Uh, then then there's this other thing that it's just it's kind of putting up a foil. It's kind of putting up a foil, and we see this from you know this one person who's been attacking us. I won't mention him, but we see this from him constantly. He's kind he, he kind of puts up every kind of hyperbole. He can put up uh, in order to shield himself from actually having to make an argument based on the facts, because when the argument gets into something based on the facts, he he can't he can't do it. All right, well the facts are all against him. So it, it's it's you know I mean we see this all the time. It's it's you know well um, well no the Bible actually says this and this is what. And if you look at this passage here and compare it to this passage over here, you know, you see that the Catholic position is correct. Oh, well, you're a heretical papist, Darwinist, poor Babylon. <laughs> you know, that's right. It kind of insulates you, them from having to defend their position. Right. When you are standing on a, a weak position, your best defense is to distract your opponent than actually face up to them. And uh, right. Since we Catholics have a strong position if you actually know what the Catholic Church teaches and the Bible teaches and how to explain it. Uh, they have to, you know, do, as you say, ad hominem attacks because they know that 
and and even their ad hominem attacks, you know, can also be applied to some Protestants, but not necessarily all Protestants, uh, right. because Protestants have such a variety of beliefs. Right. So that's all we got for today. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like a copy of today's show notes or have a follow-up question, you can send me an email at catholicken at thefourpersons.com or look me up on Facebook. If you'd like to have me come speak at your parish on this or many other topics, send me an email at catholicken61 at gmail.com or look me up on Facebook. And if you're looking for a great Christmas gift for somebody who's going to be confirmed this year or make their first communion, or if you have a family friend that has fallen away from the Catholic faith, or if you'd like a basic introductory guide to Catholic apologetics, I highly recommend that you get my book, How Old Is Your Church? on Amazon. They're only $6, so it's not going to break the bank, and you could even give it as a stocking stuffer to somebody because it's cheap enough. May God bless and guide your efforts to bring the truth of the Catholic faith to the rest of the world. Bye-bye. Amen. God bless.